This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook, and at trevorjamesflutes.com. Hello everybody and welcome to Talking Flutes Extra podcast this week with me, Jean-Paul Wright. I mean, wow, Claire and I asked back in our 200th podcast episode for ideas and suggestions from you on content and also on future guests. And you have sent us bucket loads of suggestions and ideas and we're working through these at the moment and we'll be incorporating many of them in our future pods. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your continued support in listening and also sending us feedback, which is so very important to Claire and I. As we said, we only set out to make 10 podcasts and this must be around about 210th one. So we're 200 ahead of our target. So thank you. Can I also ask you to like, follow and rate Talking Flutes podcasts on whatever podcasting stream service you are listening to these on. It really does kick in the pesky algorithms to circulate these to more like-minded flute players and musicians when they are browsing for podcast inspiration. So this week I'm delighted to have a wonderful musician and flute player join us. She's based in Vienna and loves to convey music through different genres, styles and also different woodwind instruments from all over the world. If you follow her on social media, you will know that she is not only a wonderful classical and contemporary flute player, but also has a great love to introduce traditional, half-forgotten instruments onto an international stage. She has a busy life taking part in recordings for Hollywood, movies, Netflix, BBC and many, many more creative projects. She's a busy and committed teacher, orchestral and solo performer, but always seems to find the time to go running. So may I proffer, or welcome, a wonderful Talking Flutes podcast introduction, and I'm going to get this right, she's just told me off air, Veronica Vitaskova. Yay! Yay! I'm not too stupid then. Never said that. <laughs> Hi, Veronica. Hi. Right, you've, you've had a busy morning, haven't you? You've been in the recording studio. Yeah, for one computer game, which actually comes out in one or two years, so I don't know why, what they're stressing about now when it comes in two years now. wow they record that yeah. far ahead for computer games yeah i i didn't know they i sometimes it's last moment and sometimes it's so much in, maybe they have too much money and they want to spend it well <laughs> so is it just tell. do you just get the dots or do you get stuff on the screen above you dots uh notes do you get the notes written no. down on the sheet music or do you yeah that, that, this, was, this was written and many many cues and we just Yesterday and today we recorded it. Uh, we were woodwind section, so only eight of us. Oh, right. So you're doing shorts as well as big longer pieces. Everything. Wow. What you need, you put in front of me and I execute it. <laughs> so you don't have a problem with sight reading, do you? <laughs> yeah, I, I got way better. But I got good with sight reading when I was younger, playing on the street with a friend of mine. We always went to the streets of Bratislava, Vienna. We went to Dublin. And we took our notes with us and we played Telemann duets or Mozart duets, everything for two flutes. And we were just side reading and side reading. And so at some point we could side read really well. And uh, were the people of Bratislava, Vienna, hmm? 
Dublin. Were they all generous with their euros? In the earlier years, yes, but later it got worse. I, I, I cannot explain. Like it, when I was in Bratislava and we didn't have euro yet and German tourists came around or Japanese tourists and they gave us some euros, coins and, and, and paper money. That was so much because one, um, 40 crowns was one euro. Now it's totally different. Now we all have euro. But that time, and I was 14, 15, I was lots of money to make Saturday morning on the street. Like someone gave me like 50 euro and we, at once and then other money. And that was really a lot. So the, of ice cream. so the better you got, the worse money you got, <laughs> the less reward. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think we would have to change the style. We were just playing this classical music, but that was really good for the side reading exercise. And don't get, uh, you know, distracted with the dog going to your flute case and want to, you know what. Oh, yes. <laughs> Veronica, um, we've been speaking for quite a long time and you have such a fascinating social media presence. And it's only when you look at your presence, only you look at your website, and we'll, we'll do all the links later, that you realise that not only are you a brilliant flute player, but your real love and your real passion is world flutes. And that is flutes and instruments that don't... Tubes. Tubes, yes. I quite like that. Tubes that have largely been forgotten or are played by locally by a certain nation and some of which look really strange. Some sound really strange and some look really strange when you're playing them. So before we talk about the strange one, how did Veronica start playing the flute? I mean, when did you begin that? Actually, I went to the preparation for a music school when I was six for the little recorder, right? But the teacher was so strict with me because at home we were singing and my father was playing guitar and with fire on the, with, how it's called, in the forest. We put the fire in the middle and you play some songs. And I was really not thinking about that it's something difficult, you know, music. It was just part of life. And then I went to this, to this music school and the teacher was way, way too strict. So I learned two free notes. And it was like one line I, I was supposed to play. And, and after I made a mistake, she started to scream again, again. And I was not used to this, like, again, like I was used to when I make a mistake, then I find a way to come back again. So then I stopped. And then my, uh, then, then my parents, and I was crying after, after the lessons and my parents were like, oh, this is not the way she should enjoy the music, right? So then I stopped learning notes, stopped going to music school and in one music shop, we saw a tin whistle, Irish tin whistle, and then a little cassette, and then a little book with the fingerings, you know, like open, close, finger holes. And that's what I did until 12. So from six till 12, I played only by ear and only Irish music in Slovakia. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, listening to music and, and these kind of things. And then later I was thinking, okay, now I wanna go to study something else, you know, after the elementary school, gymnasium, or what kind of education? Like, I like music. Okay, I cannot really read notes so well, but uh, actually I was really bad. At the age of 12, 13, I couldn't really read anything. And then I went to the music school to a different teacher, but with the, the proper flute, right? Not the recorder anymore. And then I got a great teacher. Then I went to conservatory in Bratislava. And then I end up in Vienna because it's only 60 kilometers away. <laughs> 
and also got the great teachers here. And then I stayed here. Do you think that the freedom or that you had until you were 12 really helped your how you are now? Because you started with a teacher that was very strict and you did, it wasn't very encouraging. And you just decided to do it for fun up until the age of 12. So you had this freedom to learn how to copy a piece of music or to improvise. Do you think exactly. that, that that grounding has really helped you now? Definitely. Then I went to the university in Vienna and we had these lessons about improvisation. And I was like looking around and all these people had no idea, like a beautiful piano, Stanway piano, the best piano in the world standing there. And they were well-educated pianists and or other musicians and they were afraid to touch it. And this freedom, definitely. But in the early years, learning the etudes, doing all these color etudes and everything, it was it was a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, but it sounds like you took to it very quickly. Yeah, because my fingers were very fast from the Irish music because no one told me it's difficult <laughs> when I was small. <laughs> no one, do you know that's so great when you're young, isn't it? No one tells you anything is difficult. And even if they yeah. do, you just say, no, it's not. Yeah, like, look. Oh, how fabulous. And I take it you've taken your Irish flute playing to Ireland, haven't you? To Dublin, as you say. Yeah, but I was only playing there on the street and went to some pubs. And my first flight in my life, first time I was about uh, with 16, yeah. Wow. So yeah. you, having learnt Irish music yourself, go to the home of Irish music in Dublin and play Irish music to the Irish. Yeah, it was kind of weird. I learned it in Slovakia. That is weird I'm, I'm, and very brave. No one told me it's not supposed to go this way. <laughs> Do you know, I think that's the name of the podcast. No one told me not to do it. <laughs> and, you know, Vienna, that's really funny because then I, okay, Slovakia, Slovakia, but then I came to Vienna and everyone is here about Mozart, Beethoven, Haydn, and everything is so, you know, the way it should be. It's beautiful. I love it. If you play the Mozart the right way, that's the Mozart. I enjoy it. Of course, that's the most difficult thing ever and wonderful. But I lost, like, I'm here from 2010, right? And I finished my studies 2018. It took me eight years because I was working in between and doing things. And this freedom after I finished the studies, this actually started with all these instruments. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't dare to do it before, I think. I was listening to different music and playing a little bit of flamenco and a little bit of some Irish pop band, but never like, yeah. My teacher would ask me, what did you do? And I say, ah, no, no, I just, I, I, I'm just playing duduk for two weeks. She would, she, I, I, she, I think she wouldn't be totally happy about it. That just doesn't sound right, does it? You're in, in yeah, Vienna studying the flute, but you're playing the duduk. <laughs> no, but it's great because I had such a good basis now and such a good understanding yeah. of what's going on with the flute. Like I wouldn't change it. No, no. but you're playing all these other instruments now. And yeah, now like the lockdown came and I was like, what to do now. So I started with Instagram and, <laughs> and with this instrument. Uh, but how does so it affect your mouth? How does it, when you're going from, say, a duduk, where you've got both your lips over and your... It's actually, here's the duduk. It's actually a really, really relaxed. Uh, it should be actually really, it's only like... I wish you could all see what Veronica's doing because her, <laughs> her if you can imagine... Uh, a really lovely looking lady and she's got her <laughs> cheeks puffed right out <laughs> but totally totally like it's not like it's 
Oh, it's everything. Even the mouth goes forward. It's everything. It's total. Yeah, that, that was it. <laughs> I'm not sure. I wish any- you saw it before. That no, was- I'm not showing everybody that. No. <laughs> yeah, and, and this is the, and actually, if you do it right, there's no reason why it shouldn't work. I, I think clarinet is way more difficult than, than, than duduk. Really? But because yeah, the duduk I- is such a beautiful sounding instrument. But on the same day I play duduk, I have to practice flute. It, I cannot do like three days only duduk. Then my flute tone is yeah. not, not, not nice. It's always has to be in a, like I do 20 minutes this and then half an hour the other. Yeah, during the lockdown, there was lots of time to do this. Now it's a little bit more difficult. <laughs> do you want to give, me a, give us a little honk on the duduk? It's beautiful and it's quite, it's very haunting, isn't it? Totally. It's uh, like, it cuts to the hearts. Close your eyes and listen. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you learn to play it? Because no one taught you to play it. And looking how your cheeks and your mouth are, I don't believe it was a YouTube video that told you. It was YouTube videos. Was but, uh, but right away, uh, I got some nice tips who to contact, who to, who to learn from. So I did one very long, like almost two, three hours uh, Skype lesson with uh, one guy which lives in Boston, but he's Armenian. Uh, I have also Duduks from his father, he, amazing brand. And we, we became friends. I, I mean, I never met him yet, but uh, it's really nice. We're just talking and if I have some questions or even if I practice it and make a little story on Instagram, he writes, oh, you're doing it wrong. This is the right way. What are, what, what are you doing? <laughs> so, <laughs> that, uh, that is the danger, isn't it? Playing a special instrument to the, sorry, the, the Armenian people and doing something. They know how it feels, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Till now, I didn't really have anything. I didn't hear anything bad about, oh, how disgraceful or you are doing it terribly. The only thing which came to me was with the didgeridoo, that that's a sacred instrument and the Aboriginal people start mm. to write me that it shouldn't be played by a woman. Oh, but then no. I was studying oh, it. No. I was studying it afterwards a little bit. And it's not really the case. Uh, somewhere, the woman shouldn't touch the instrument. Some other country, woman can play as some other part of Australia. It's really hard, isn't it? Because to bring the didgeridoo, I mean, we all know the didgeridoo sound, but very few people will know the beauty and the depths and the overtones that you can get when you play a didgeridoo. And it's quite unfair to say that women don't do it. Okay, we respect other cultures, but it just seems quite a shame that... And it's 2022, and I understand also their point of view. You know, like they want to keep the traditions... Yeah, there's there's a respect. You're not culturally misappropriating, are you? You're just bringing occasionally the didgeridoo to a wider audience. But, um, oh, that's quite sad. That isn't a didgeridoo behind you, is it? That's huge. That's Fuyara. Oh, This is a Slovakian overtone flute. That that is absolute. Monster. That is a monster. It is, crikey, that must be two metres tall. Uh, It's high as me. (laughs) I'm one metre sixty-eight. Yeah. One meter six. I oh, say so it's still very big. So for all you flute players, it is probably the size of a contrabass flute that's been straightened out. Yeah, but of course it's also there are two pipes. I mean, um, so if we put it in a one long, then it's longer, then it's almost three meters. So right? all it does is play overtones. Yeah, and it has three holes. Should I play it? Please, three holes. How can you play something with just three holes? Yeah, I'm also asking myself, how can I make it sound? But no one told it. <laughs> this is the great thing about doing a podcast, you see, is that 
Veronica didn't know I was going to ask her about this. It was just sat in the background. It is very big, very tall. Yeah. Yeah. And there are finger, one, two, three holes. Right. It's three holes right at the very bottom. And her head is right at the very top. <laughs> and, and it's actually a huge recorder. Oh, oh yeah. There's a fipple on the top. Crikey. Yeah. That's, and you know that is. That's but this was very Slovakian because it's played always by the shepherds, which take care of the sheep, and there are the dogs around. And, and, <laughs> and my know, dog like, started. So this, this was this was little Slovakia now. <laughs> So you really have to be aware of the harmonic structure of that, don't you, to be able to get all the different notes. How big is the tonal range of that? Uh, you cannot get all the tones, like the lowest one, and then there's one octave, nothing. And then you get the quint and stuff, and then you use the fingers. So I can, I can, I should do a video about it, right? See, when I watch your videos, I'm actually listening to the sound and actually watching you play it, because watching a musician play... Because you're not a flute player, you're a musician. And watching a, a musician play that, you're sort of totally entranced in how you're creating that sound without mm -hmm. looking it at just, where the hand is. Yeah, it's just a whole. Actually, I have a mini version of it. So this is a konsoka or the willow flute. Mm -hmm. That's actually the very same system, and but there are no holes. So if I keep it open, if I combine, wow! Uh, right for those of you that aren't looking at this, I mean it's me. I have the privilege of watching Veronica do this. Imagine a very long recorder, and the fiddler's at the top, and she's blowing through the end of this wooden tube. And there are no holes. No holes. So she's when she's playing it open, that's just with the wood, the pipe free so she's overblowing what she's that's what we do on the flute when we hold c and make the overtones yep. right that's the, exactly the same and then to change the notes she's actually putting her finger over the bottom you just close it and then you have the another the other one the sound of the first one is if i close it and then i combine them two major and minor <laughs> <laughs> sounds like that. <laughs> how many flutes do you play didn't count because I always starting new ones, <laughs> but I. <laughs> uh, but you know, when you get in this circle, then you cannot get out anymore. Um, I have over seventy instruments at the moment, but they are not all different. You know, like I have like four kinds of this konsolka which I just played. Then I have three kinds of duduks in different scales and the Irish whistles since my childhood. I have like nine or ten pieces, but each of them is in different key. So your, your, your poor fiancé, you're travelling, say you go to a country and you see a busker on the street corner playing something you haven't seen before. He just has to let you go with it and you'll no doubt listen and you go and ask what it is, don't you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. But the good thing about the Instagram, you can really build there a community of other strange people which are doing the same strange things as you do. And then they hear something, they send it to you and then you find something. Many instruments in lockdown. I found there's a, I don't know what's the English version of this, but internet market, flea market on internet that people 
make all these cleanings during the lockdowns. So they found some old flutes from their grandparents or something they didn't want to have at their place anymore. They put it in the internet. And then I'm sitting at home scrolling. Oh, this is interesting. That's kind of some kind of flute. Can I pick it up? And the next day I go and like walk through the city and pick the instrument up. And then I'm trying to find out how to make a sound out of it. So this, this is how I started with many instruments, which I, in the beginning, didn't know what it is. And then people told me, this is this and this from there and there. So, so to me and to many people listening to this, yes, it is a strange noise, but to the communities where these instruments originated, it yeah. is an emotion, isn't it? It is a, sto- a way of telling a story. Every single time it's a story. Every instrument has a story. Every country has a story. And you can, with Japanese music, you can tell it. With Armenian music, you can tell it, and uh, and that's beautiful. It's very connected. And it's really interesting, isn't it? The further east you go, the beauty. You know, Armenia just has some, and Slovenia, and Czech, and there's the further east you go from, say, Germany and the UK. The beautiful, beautiful music, and it's not necessarily based around playing fast, because you know I've, we've spoken about this on podcast before. Anybody can play fast. It's all about creating an emotion and it's the emotion comes from the culture and it comes from communication and how people would communicate to each other, whether it's a gypsy culture in Hungary or whether it's a Romani culture in certain other uh, uh, countries. You can go to the left or to the right. You, I mean, or, you can. Or you, down. you can go to the left <laughs> or the right. And it is fundamentally different. It's all about making music, but music that is uh, cultural to that one specific region. And what you're, yeah, and what people are doing now, and this is the great world of the internet. And yeah, you're right. Lockdown enabled people to take a step back and think, crikey, what I'm going to do? Because I don't know when we're going to come out of lockdown. And certainly musicians, where there was, there hasn't been work for such a long time, it's given people the opportunity or gave the people the opportunity to look outwards and look. Certainly people like you that love world flutes. It's just given you this medium to say, and the freedom to say, well, let's give it a go. Yeah, what what can happen, right? Like I was really a little bit afraid of my mm, ambassador. Yeah. At the beginning, but it was lockdown. I was like, nothing's nothing's going on for the next two weeks for sure. And then like I will try this, and then I find out it's not bad. And I saw other people doing it and playing still flute, and like they are still alive and play both instruments wonderfully. Why can I be doing the same? <laughs> and you now make yeah. a living with it. You now. You, you know, actually, um, how do you get people to know that you can play the duduk or you can play other instruments unless they look at your website and your Instagram? Instagram. Really? Yeah, it's very, it's very funny. It's, uh, it's okay. One on Classic FM, mm-hmm. I posted a video before the lockdowns. I actually, how I got to Fuera, that's a Slovak traditional instrument in the UNESCO cultural heritage. Da, da, da. I knew it exists, I knew it's a kind of flute, but no huge feelings. Then I got asked from the recording studio where, where I record flute, alto flute, piccolo, regularly. I got asked, oh, there's a concert. And they asked if uh, the contractor asked, do you play Fuyara or do you know anyone who plays Fuyara? And I asked, when do you need it? Uh, in June. Oh, in three months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I play Fuyara. Sure, sure. The minute we stopped talking, I called some Slovakian friends like, I need to borrow a Fuyara. Can I come and check it out? And and that was a love, and I fell in love with it. And then I played the solo concert. My first concert was a solo concert with Tonkinslo Orchestra and in Grafenek in um, in Austria. So, and since then, I'm Fuera player. I learned it in three months. I mean, I knew it in three weeks, but can hit accidental notes, and you can hit melodies which you actually really want to hit. 
you know, two things. What is your mindset when you play that? Because you're, you're taking a different mindset than if you're playing a, a concert flute, aren't you? Because you're picking up a very long piece of wood. And it's not you're not hoping which note you're going to get, are you? You're, you? You have to think differently. You have some points which always work and you swim in between. <laughs> you're swimming. <laughs> you're floating. Let's skip swimming. Yeah. And then I played the pan flute also with this orchestra like two years ago. Can you play pan flute? Yeah, I had one pan flute, but then really didn't. And pan flute is more difficult than this. Yeah, that's more tubes, more stress, more jumping. And I was practicing four hours a day. Wow. <laughs> for for one month. And I, I played Morricone, the cocky song on, 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 on the... Oh, well, it. bravo. Bra- I've tried so, that. The jumps are far too big and it hurt my lips. It's, it's like it's, it's a dance. You know, <laughs> like you cannot move only head or only the hands. It's a, it's a very smooth combination. And I was practicing the jumps. Turi, turi, tura, tura, turi. Yeah. So, it, was, it was very fun. I, I, it was very good paid, so I could cancel everything that month. And I was just home and focusing on this little piece of wood. Has there <laughs> a little piece of wood? Lots of little pieces of wood, and they're multi sizes as well as you all know. No, I needed only this one for oh, the just the teenager. one. Okay. Has any instrument beaten you yet? Has that anyone means, frustrated you? The Arabic cav- uh, the cavals are very difficult. Okay. I'm meeting one guy. That's nice about Vienna. It's very international. So you want some Arabs? You go to the eleventh districts and. You eat some nice halal food and, 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 and learn to play the instrument from nat- native people. So what do you do? You go to a restaurant and then you sit there eating and then the waiter comes over and you say, do you know anyone that plays this type of flute? And then is that how it works? Some, in this direction. I mean, the musical community is not so huge. So if there's someone who's playing flamenco, they know someone who plays um, some African music and they know someone who plays some Arabic music. The word spreads very fast. This is such a, it's so refreshing to speak to you in that all these different types and styles of music and how they interweave with each other. Yeah, it's all, and then I speak to these people, for example, the Slovakian. It's very funny because some of them know only the Slovakian flutes and only the Slovakian folklore, right? And they're very proud of it, what's wonderful, but their eyes are like on these horses. They see nothing right, nothing left. The classical musicians also, nothing right, nothing left. Jazz people are only in the jazz and all these wonderful people which are mixing and connecting, I really enjoy because one thing makes the other rich every time. And it's, but it's really funny to be with these authentic instruments in this culture, which is really, they're protective, of course. And then you like come in as a woman, what's already in many cultures, like the Fuyara, I got actually some hate from a Slovakian guys, which live uh, in the mountains, like, Fuyara is not supposed to be played by a woman because Fuyara, it's a woman and it should be kissed by a man. This is the way you hold it. You know, or Fuyara is a kind of, it's an overtone flute made out of wood. And if you blow in it, you have to hit these overtones with the right attack and and speed and and stuff. And if you don't practice it, you don't hit it so easily. So they say, it's like a woman when you don't pay attention and she's just in the corner, then she will answer you. She will not play well. You know, like they're all the Slovakian. Oh, that's so misogynistic, isn't it? It is. That yeah, it, yeah. It is. Oh, that. Okay. Well, I, I, I understand to a degree how. But it's about. But, but I, yeah. I, I, lo- I, I love to like come in and make 
of course, there are lots of people which are totally happy, and also men. And the, my Fuyara maker, he's amazing. I still didn't meet him in person because he lives also like in the, the very middle of Slovakia. But he makes such a amazing work, and uh, he's also a happy woman place. Why? Why not? But you, you've, got, you've got it exactly right. If you're the jazz players, stay with jazz. Classical players stay with classical, and they don't look outside. The thing with world music is, if you look at a look at creating a beautiful dish, if you just add a dish of onions and nothing else, then you may like onions, but after a while, it just gets a bit same. If you have a dish of tomatoes, after a while, it just gets same and often boring but if you have a beautiful feast that contains lots of different ingredients like the world the world of flutes for example if you have a stomachache afterwards or maybe it's great <laughs> yeah and an earache yes <laughs> i just think the world is richer for understanding and hearing these different types of flutes but because a few years ago i didn't know they existed yeah, and that's that's a shame, actually. Yeah, but. I mean, pan pipes, obviously, because Georg is unfair. You know, it's uh, you know he made things famous, but my sphere, I was like a horse. I would sort of go down here, I'd try and play jazz, and I failed because I really can't let myself free, and I'm too sort of rigid with the, the dotted crotchet or the dotted quaver. And then when it came to improvisation, what what is that? You know, it's um, improvisation around a chord and a key. But I could guarantee you, if you take a different instrument, you feel more free than on a flute. That's that's the. I love that. Yes. You take a different instrument, and you're like already when you play piano. I, I I'm very bad with piano. Like as soon as another hand comes in, I'm like my brain goes like, <laughs> and not nothing's possible. But I feel already free. At least the black, you know, the the black uh, piece. Yeah. It's not so difficult, and I, or drumming. You feel free and improvise and try things out. Uh, and also with these Arabic instruments, they have all these weird scales. And you just play open, close holes, which would be on a recorder, very some normal notes. And on the Arabic flute, it's so inspiring. Suddenly you are cool. You know, suddenly you make sounds which are totally out of... Or this overtone flute, it hits notes, which I wouldn't really think to hit. But then, then I get inspired by the notes which comes out. So it's or when you play the flute, the difference... Style, you know, like you put away mm. the head joint and you play this shakuhachi style or only with them. I was always doing this and everyone told me you should play the flute properly. And now I can make a living out of playing things properly. <laughs> and that's, uh. <laughs> that's the thing. What is properly? And people are really good at giving advice, but it is advice based around their own their own biases and their own experience. And each one of us have, has our own little biases and our own experiences. And I like the fact that you just said, you broke, you've broken down the doors and said, no, I want to do this. And I, what is that beautiful instrument over there that's being played? I want to play it. Of course, they, uh, I got now many teachers. And when I stop with some instrument or I need to record it, then I contact them again, like, oh, I need to get a little bit better or I'm out of air, or I'm doing something wrong because I'm totally out of tune the second uh, octave or something. And then they tell me how difficult it is and impossible. And uh, yeah, I, I understand. Yes, it is. I know. But if you are doing recordings from home, you can make it 15 times wrong. And the 16 time is like, yes. So, and I'm learning. And the next time I record it, I'm way better. And, and actually, I'm playing also better classical music now. Because I don't feel like I have to play it so great now. I have to be so perfect. I'm just really, it, it makes me free. And that's important, isn't it, to be free when you're playing music? Because you can't tell the story 
if you're confined by the notes on the page, you have to be able to tell the listener or the audience this narrative, this whatever it is the composer wants to get over to the audience. And if you're confined by what you see, then the music doesn't come alive. You don't feel the emotion. Yeah, it's all about breath and breathing with each instrument. It's in, out, in, out. And it doesn't really matter where out. You can sing. It's it's this movement which you, like with shakuhachi, this Japanese flute, that's also very difficult flute. I'm also fighting with that one. That's also the, the edge is very different than on the normal record, uh, normal flute. And I heard also some people philosophing about it. And it's really, they tell, you never play wrong on shakuhachi. You play what comes out is what was meant to come out, you know, very. And this is not what you learn at the Viennese University when you play Mozart. What comes out, that comes out. No, ho, ho, ho. That's, or when you practice, you know, for all these auditions in the orchestras, that's not the way you would, you are supposed to think. That I, you're on the stage and you make a mistake and oh, this was supposed to happen. And then you use the mistake and make even a better thing. And this is what I learned when I was very small with the Irish whistles. Of course, I made mistakes, but then I hide it in some kind of uh, ornamentation and voila, sounded right. There is so much to learn by this, isn't it? Most most flute players, and me included, we get ourselves in a in a mess, in a pickle. We start to get upset if things aren't exactly as we think they should be. And as soon as we start getting upset, we sort of increase the pressure and increase the chances of us going wrong. And yeah. Playing Mozart in in, I, in two bars in on the other page is this place. Yeah. Oh, in five bars, yeah. four bars, three here bars. It here it comes. Place, yeah, here it comes. And then if you play it right, you go wrong on the the, the easy bit afterwards. Yeah, like oh, I did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we know it. But the thought of playing Mozart in Austria, oh crikey! I mean that you're on a hiding to nothing. Everything on the table. Everything's there. Oh, that I think everyone. That, that, everyone judge you. Yeah, I would rather play a gypsy dance in Hungary than Mozart in Vienna, for example. Good grief. Oh, but it's beautiful if, if you are in a good shape and, and you know these rules and you know where to make it heavy, where to make it long, where not to make it long. Or it chamber is. music. When that, when, or I play often in Viennese Kammer, chamber orchestra, and that's mostly strings and only few winds. And when we play all these pieces, that's like everyone knows how windy, um, luftig, how they yeah. call it, like the space between the notes should be. And when everyone is doing it right, it's uh, it's magical. Yeah, when you hear Mozart played right, and I, well, I can't say right, but when I hear Mozart no, no, played, like... sometimes Mozart, I will listen to Mozart and it doesn't do anything. But sometimes I listen to Mozart and my word, it it is a different world and I can close my eyes and get lost. It's also, I really enjoy Mozart, which is not meant for flute. because ah, Absolutely. Mozart is so, you know, this tea and you drink the same tea over and over and when you suddenly I played this uh, quartet for oboe and, and a string trio and I just played the part and it was so beautiful I enjoyed it totally because I didn't know it so I was mm. just enjoying the music but if I play this other Mozart which is meant for flute and everyone knows it this quartet it's like oh, yeah yeah I should do this trio should be like this and this should be a little bit better but with the oboe one, I was like just chilled because I didn't know it yet. Yeah, so you come over as quite a chilled person. And anyone that looks at, looks at you on Instagram, and you're posting every day anyway, you're always smiling. You may be pulling a funny face when you're playing an instrument, but you're always smiling. Is that is that you generally? Are you just this positive, happy-go-lucky, busy musician? Sometimes I'm, 
I would have to call my fiance now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I generally I see always the bright side of the dawn. Yeah. It's always but I have a high blood pressure, so I have to slow down. And before I was saying yes to everything, running everywhere, doing everything. I was totally exhausted. And since the corona came, so I, hey, I have to slow down a little bit and be a little bit more chill. So it's like I'm even cutting a little bit of the energy I was before too much. You slow down. You're saying slow down. But but I'm still, I'm still happy. I mean, I'm doing music. Like I was ma- making babysitting. I was also once cleaning under the cars in some Renault shop, you know, for, for almost no money. And now I'm here and I can make music. And I live in Austria, in Vienna, which is one of the most wonderful cities. Now the sun was shining and I was recording in the morning music. I, I was making the secretary for two years and I was going every day for five hours to this uh, room and, and writing on the computer and like not working for myself, but for someone else. And if I do it or someone else, it didn't really matter. And now when I play, I, I play for myself. When I do something, I do it. No, you don't take it for granted. You appreciate really appreciate what you are doing. I, I, I do. Of course, sometimes there are things like this is really bad paid. People mm. shouldn't be doing it. And earlier I would do it, of course. But now I'm like, ah, I, sh- I shouldn't. So you've slowed down on some things, but yet your Instagram shows me that you don't slow down on other things. You run, I don't didn't you? Insta- I didn't have Instagram when I was... Uh, no, but, no but you run, don't you? I, I run, yeah. Now, the importance of running to you, the importance of fit being fit is it, to be it, outside in the first to be outside because normally when i teach it's in a room when i sit in the studio there's no window in the studio it's a mm-hmm. it's a hall <laughs> it's yeah. they're always and i love sun so i and, and fresh air so that's the number one to be outside of course the healthy benefit and the endorphins and actually the running community is here mm. Uh, we go every Sunday. I don't go every Sunday because you have to wake up very early. But a few Sundays in a month I go. Uh, and there's a group of people, totally different occupations, not, not musicians. And they run together through different parts of Vienna. That's also very nice. So, so this community feeling. And then I see, ah, he went again for a run. I should also go running it as well. And I'm getting married in summer. And I want to be in a good shape. So I'm really practicing for a marathon. So that's kind of... <laughs> Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe this is not what you wanted to hear. Yeah, running is very important. Also, the breathing, also for the brain, and to have enough oxygen in my brain when I, because in the in the studio where I record, it's everything. Every minute, it's money. So when you make a take and you make a mistake, or when hundred people are playing and each of them makes in one take a mistake, we can sit there forever. That costs plenty of money. So. You, see, you, are, you did your run and then you then you sit there and you can concentrate and you're focused. And what goes through your mind when you're running? Are you free or do you process thoughts? Listening to your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> now, what do you do? Do you, do you listen to things? Do you listen to music? Uh, you... There are different runs, right? When I make like this fast, slow, this part leg uh runs interval trainings then i i just look at my watch and be fast mm-hmm. slow fast too slow too fast uh, that's a little bit more technical but this long runs when i'm alone i like to listen to podcasts a lot or some latin music oh yeah or or also arabic music i was listening a lot for all of you out there that don't know the running terms the term fartlek is it's a swedish word which means playing with speed so yeah. if you're out running 
a way of building up your endurance and your speed is to choose plot points in front of you and to increase your speed from one point to the next point. And Short then you, before you die and then yeah. you stop. Yeah. And then you stop and just sort of you carry on a little jogging if you want to. It gets, it's slower, yeah. Yeah, and then you choose another point. And whatever yeah. runner you are, whether you're world-class Olympic standard or you're a new beginner, everybody does speed work. And even if you're just starting to run and you're walking and then you run a bit, you're jogging a bit and then you stop, that is still fartlek. That's actually already it. Yeah. yeah. But now I have also trainings, you know, that I can see on my watch yes. like now in five seconds you should run fast and, and then, you know, it's like more pushed. That's not the fun anymore, but it's fun when you get again to have the recovery. <laughs> done. Have you done a marathon before? Never. I, this April I'm doing it. I did like five half marathons, but this April it's my first marathon. All I'll say to you is that when you complete your first marathon, the feeling of exhilaration there's something about it and obviously you'll get you're getting married after the marathon i presume yeah mouse it's, it's my bedlington she's i think she's seen a squirrel outside <laughs> mousey shush 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 come here so but you've you're exactly right because it all everything stems around breathing doesn't it you're playing the flute you're playing all the other types of flute is breath control and when you're running we live we, go, we live because we breathe yeah, but we don't always think about that, do we? We sort of take breathing for granted, and yet breathing is the fundamental reason. If we didn't breathe properly, we wouldn't be able to play the flute properly because we're just singers, aren't we? We just go, ah, in whatever flute we have in our hands. Yeah, some, yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing. Also the pressure, how, how, how much you send to each instrument and the intonation on each instrument, that's fascinating. Oh, absolutely, like, <laughs> yes. That's... Uh, Every time a different world, different story. And before I was thinking, oh, flute and piccolo, that's already such a huge, mm. huge difference. Now I grab any instrument and instantly you have to anticipate what kind of intonation will be needed and air pressure. What's your favorite flute? Is that, is that an unfair question? You're going to say the Irish whistle, yeah. aren't you? Whistle, but I, I fell in love with duduk, but that's not a flute anymore. Like really this, this haunting sound, it has something. I have lots of work in, in front of me to learn duduk really properly. Then the, the, one of the latest instruments, which I really like, it's this one. Wow. That, that's obviously from China. Yeah, uh, it's, got a right. red, it's got a red dangly bit on. It's like... It's called kukurbis flute. It makes sometimes very sunny, funny sounds when I don't put the right <laughs> air pressure, like, like this. Yeah, but when I do it right... But I love the alto flute. Today I played it a lot. And I love in film music, they always the scenes which are a little bit like misterioso and or in love. And then always the alto flute games comes. Yeah. So really, and I'm really so relaxed when I'm playing alto flute. I cannot describe because maybe I didn't spend my life playing alto flute, but then regular flute. So when I get to alto flute, I feel like, ah, this is my voice. Yeah, there is something about, there's something beautiful about the depth of the alto flute, but also the freedom. So always, of course, you need more air and, and mostly all this music, in film music, it's mostly you have to breathe in and very long phrase, very long, because the people are used to record, uh, use the samples and the sample alto flute doesn't complain that the player needs to breathe at some point. Uh, so they are used to make very long, how can you make it uh, even longer? Uh, I need to breathe at some point. But it's, uh, it's really, I, I love, love the sound. So for our listeners, a lot of them are amateur flute players. Uh, actually, quite a few of them aren't even flute players. They're sort of amateur musicians. But what would be your advice to 
somebody that is playing the flute and wants to, or is interested in experimenting with a non sort of classical type flute, you know, the one, the metal ones or the wooden ones that we're used to playing today, how would they branch out? Uh, maybe the Indian Bansuri. Yes. Or the Chinese Tizi. Yeah. The, the thing is with this kind of flute, it has six holes. I mean, for me, it's easy to say because I played this Irish flute and that's the six hole flute. Yes. Okay. Right. There's, there's there's a hole, and over the top is a, a very tight, a very fine piece of it's like tracing paper that vibrates. Right. Exactly. And the biggest challenge, also in the Indian or the Chinese, this is just a which I got. Like we are used to hold the flute normally, but you have to hold it like this when you play these uh, native flutes. So your thumb is on a very different position and the balance is very different, right? So that's the actually the only difficult thing. And, and then you don't play with your uh, fingertips, but you play with this uh, other part of your, of your finger. Yeah, the, the middle parts of your fingers sort of is yeah, hanging over. Exactly. But I would take the Indian or the Chinese. You don't destroy your ambassador at all. <laughs> and it, yeah, if you're an amateur flute player, destroying your embouchure is so heartbreaking. Breaking. <laughs> yeah. But then also these Irish whistles are fun and ocarinas are fun. Like it's the music you can imagine listening. Like if you are listening to, if you are listening to Spotify playlists full of uh, Indian music and get an Indian flute. If you're listening to Native American, then take a Native American flute. That's very easy. So I think the, the big message is not to worry though, just to pick it up and like you did, experiment. Yeah. And find some time to do it. And not worry about going wrong, because that, you know, we all worry about that, don't we? We always we all worry about being, making mistakes, but... Biggest lie, no? It cannot be perfect. You will always do something, and someone will think you are amazing, you will think you are bad, and someone else will think you are even worse than you think you are bad. Like, there's always all, all opinions around. So as the Nike hashtag is, just do it. Just do it, yeah. And to smile. You know, also, like, the, the flute students, like, mostly is to um, think that they're playing too quietly. Like, not really the, the posture. It's not, like, to have the core. To, yeah. To really blow loud in the instrument. Okay, there are specialists which are blowing too loud in the flute. <laughs> <laughs> but but mostly it's like, ah, I don't speak too loud. I don't sing too loud. I play quietly. Then you never know the borders of the instrument. But uh, No, that's really interesting, finding where the borders are finding how far you can push the sound, how far where the sound disappears, but also how far you can take each sound. Because you're exactly right. Unless you know where the borders are, you can't find the beauty within the lines. Yeah. Also the intonation. Like try the extreme on one side, the extreme on the other side. And then the, and then the normal note, the nice one, will be, oh, this is so easy and nice to play because I try these extremes. I can do them. That's my actually practice for the intonation. I make these extremes. And what's the first flute you? What's the first thing you do when you start each day? Do you play your normal C flute or do you play something different? Mostly the C, yeah. Well, only if there's a recording in three days and I said I can do an Arabic flute, then I play every day. <laughs> start the day with the Arabic flute. I end the day with the Arabic flute. Uh, but normally it's a, it's the normal C flute. Typical exercises, which we all know. Yeah. And have you ever gone back to your your normal C flute and thought, oh, shit, <laughs> my embouchure's gone? 
<laughs> yeah, that was after one once I practiced duduk too much, like three days, and I didn't touch the sea flute. And then the fourth day, I was like, oh, this is not going to work. But I then le- I learned the balance. And I, also before I was playing wrong, I was not putting the cheeks out so much. And and that's even way more pressure and way more pressing. You know, it's also like with the flute, um, um, when you have it right, then nothing hurts. It's, it's just right. You can play for hours. What I really enjoy about speaking to you is just that nothing seems to be a problem. Nothing seems to be an obstacle. If, so, if, you can't do so, if you can't do something, you will find a way on why you can't do something and then you'll solve it. Or you can do it and then you don't do it and then that's also a solution. The next day comes, the sun comes up again and <laughs> like we are playing only flutes. We are not, uh, this is not science. Like we didn't send any people to the moon and we cannot bring them back. There's no operation. I, I don't know. It's a, I have to earn money to pay my rent and to get food and, and provide stuff. And trying to do it in the most nice way. Like I asked myself, what would I do even if I wouldn't get paid for it? And this is what I would do, actually. So Yeah, we're not heart surgeons, but heart surgery is quite linear in that you know what you've got to do and you have to do it. And you also have to know what to do if something goes wrong. So it is very, it is very, yeah, it's very linear. There's processes. Being a musician, however, yes, you're not, you haven't got anybody's heart life in your hands. But what you're working with is unlocking an emotion in a listener. So you have a very different sort of emphasis, don't you? It's also, if I'm calm and happy, then it's way easier to put some emotion, or even if I'm sad. But if I'm with myself, when I had too much work and was running from place to place, I didn't have really time to think how I feel and what do I want to send to others. So this calming down helps that... I take the instrument, which maybe I don't know so well, but I mostly for the recordings, which I do from home, is the, the composers send me some track and can you improvise something? You know what you should do. It's a, this scene is happening here and here and there's a car coming. Can you do some kind of, you know, you, you do your things. I close my eyes, I play the instrument and, and I make an emotion which I feel it's, it's nice to do. And I, I'm calm in myself, very calm. I, I try. I get calm when I play. Of course, depends what. Difficult. Yeah, as long as it's not Mozart in Vienna, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I Veronica, I have so enjoyed speaking to you today. How can people find you? They have to find you on Instagram because that is your, your go-to place, but you also have a website. So how can people find you, please? It's uh, Veronica Vitaskova. No, Veronica minus Vitaskova.com. But over Instagram is the easiest, I think. I'm also on YouTube, but I don't post everything. I think YouTube is more professional. I should put only professional things there. And Instagram is like a scratch book. It is, yeah. It's it's daily things and you do your stuff. And and, uh, that's the reason I really like this platform. And it built it up. And I didn't tell this one video on Classic FM with Fuyara went viral and then I got all these crazy people on my account like 3,000 people which I didn't know which were interested in overtone flute wow from from mountains and already that makes you know some kind of bubble and then I'm swinging of course some people are for me too much voodoo some people are for me too much yoga some people are but you know it's a very nice mixture and uh, 
Well, so, so you, you're you're famous with the mounting people, people of the mounting community. Because the internet is so well. In the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I will be putting all links to your Instagram and to your website and on the the, the the podcast provider, whatever you're listening to this on, but also on the Talking Flutes Instagram page and also on the I think YouTube page as well. So thank you so much for your your time. I've learned so much, and if nothing else. Just watching you smile as you speak, it sort of it gives a calming effect. And I would imagine that your students feel this because you didn't start learning the flute properly until you were twelve. So you had exactly. This, you, I'm, I'm nothing properly here. Yeah. <laughs> but you had you had this freedom to be able to experiment. And a lot of children go into formal education, play, start playing the flute at a very very young age, and then it becomes a chore or it becomes a worrying part of their life rather than being enjoyable. And exactly. you sort of come over as wanting to make people enjoy music and you obviously have a passion and you obviously enjoy it. And that comes over. So thank you so much. I'm um, Thank you for having me here. I hope I answered your things which you wanted the way or did we get to all the topics you wanted? No, we will never get to all the topics. And if you would like Veronica to come back, and I know you will, you'll have to let me know. And also ask some questions because... Normally when we do podcasts, we just have a chat and see where it takes us. But Veronica has got so many flutes and so many experiences playing different music that it will be wonderful for us to have a definitive subject to go down, even if it's on Duduk. As Veronica said, it's one of her favourite instruments, but it is not as widely listened to as perhaps it should because it is so haunting and so evocative. So send in your questions and We'll have Veronica back on. Wishing you a wonderful afternoon in Vienna, Veronica. And I know you're due to go for a run this afternoon, so enjoy that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I I will. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) thank you all for listening this week to Talking Flutes Extra with me. Uh, You you know my name by now, Jean-Paul Wright. Wishing you a wonderful musical week ahead. May your high C be especially flat, because we all need high Cs flat. And your low C, slightly sharper than usual. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye, all. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.